0: Well good morning. good morning. It's always a joy uh, to be with uh, the family here at Holy Cross. And for those of you uh, that I haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Phil Ashey. I am uh, lead a missionary society called the American Anglican Council, which has been doing mission work f- since 1996 among Episcopalians and now Anglicans. Uh, If you pull out of your bulletin this morning, this insert, uh, it will tell you a little bit on one side of the things that we are doing, uh, and then on the other side, it's got your sermon notes for today, the fill in the blanks. But just uh, uh, four brief things we're trying to do this year. Uh, Number one, uh, in the spring, we are coming out with a book on how to reform the Anglican Communion and replace its current structures, beginning with uh, GAFCON 2018. That'll be coming out in the spring. Uh, America is secondly gripped by a vision of the good life which begins with nothing and ends with nothing. It's a secular vision that's rooted and grounded in sexual orientation and gender identity. We are gathering together, the AAC, Christians from all over North America to have uh, a symposium on human flourishing, based on our identity in Christ that will produce educational resources for congregations all over the United States. Thirdly, we're working with the the 80 and the 800, uh, the 80 top largest churches in the Anglican Church in North America, helping their leaders grow uh, spiritually and to grow their churches so that they can help the next level of churches to grow, discipling their leaders, younger up-and-coming leaders, and we're working with the 800 smaller churches uh, in the Anglican Church in North America to help their leaders, clergy and vestry, focus on the local community and make a gospel impact. If you'd like to follow what we're doing and you're not already on our email list, there's a little tear-off contact card there that you can fill out and just put in in the offering plate and we'll add you immediately to our free email updates, and you can keep in touch with us and and pray with us. But I'm here this morning because Dean Henry asked me to come and speak with you about prayer-driven evangelism. On prayer is the engine that drives evangelism so that we can fulfill our mission statement here at Holy Cross to lead everyone into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I prayed about this, assignment, joyful assignment, immediately I thought of Acts chapter 4, the passage we read this morning because it's a a beautiful biblical example of what happens when the church commits itself in the face of fear and intimidation to pray and what God does. They immediately prayed and here's how God immediately resourced and convicted them and gave them fresh passion. So let's, without any further ado, dive into this passage because there's four things I want to say to you this morning about this passage. And if you uh, turn your uh, insert around and uh, turn in your Bibles to page 912, you can just kind of follow along and fill in the blanks. So point number one is pray first, overcome your fears with focus on God. Pray first. Overcome your fears with a focus on God. Now, what did they have to fear? Well, you know from reading and hearing the story this morning that the religious authorities, which were also the civil authorities at that time, threatened these guys that if they continued to share about Jesus, uh, they were not only going to be detained next time, but even more serious consequences were going to happen. Talk about fear and intimidation. And how did they respond It says that they came together and prayed. Peter and John go immediately back from the Sanhedrin. They go and report this to the the body of Christ, the fellowship, and the fellowship in action. What do they do? They all lift their voices together and pray and focus on the size of our God rather than the size of our fears and our intimidations. Amen? And what do they focus on? his sovereignty what are the first words of the prayer take a look at it sovereign lord right sovereign lord they said you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them they're focusing on the sovereignty of god saying literally you are the master we're the servants and you are a ruler of unchallengeable power They're focusing on his authority. Nations, peoples, kings, and rulers may gather against you, Lord, but you know what? You laugh them to scorn because their authority is no match for yours. You have a plan, Lord, that you have already decided beforehand, and we are under your sovereign plan, your sovereign authority, even as we share in the face of their threats. And more than that, they praised his creativity Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. And you've spoken the final word of truth. You've created everything. So Lord, can't we trust you to create opportunities creatively for us to share our faith with others? Can't you share in any way you want to bring conviction to those with whom we share? Now, what do we fear most in our sharing about Jesus Christ? Well, truth be told, And let's be honest here, okay? It's not really the threats of religious or civil authorities, right? At least not yet. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of offending people. We're afraid we won't do it right. Or we won't have the right answer. And somehow people will be forever lost because we offended or mishandled the conversation. Can I ask you, please, to be at ease? Because our sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ himself, brings the conviction, doesn't he? Not you and me. Remember Peter's conversion in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 8? I mean, Jesus is, is preaching this wonderful sermon to the crowds, but their crowds are so big, you know, he's being backed up into the water, and so he turns to this fisherman, this rough fisherman named Peter, And you can picture Peter, he's probably sitting there, mending the nets, you know, needle in his teeth, listening with one ear to this guy, skeptically, and Jesus turns to him and says, hey, Pete, can can I borrow your boat? And he says, well, all right, go ahead, and I'll go out in the boat with you. And so he goes out in the boat, and finishes the preaching mission, and then he says, hey, Pete, let's go out and do some fishing. And what does Peter do? Peter says, Lord, you know, we've we kind of know this business and uh you know we've been out fishing and we haven't caught a thing but you know you're the big guy around here so we'll go ahead and follow you and so they go out fishing and jesus says why don't you lower the net right here and they do and it is so full of fish that they have to call in another boat and it practically sinks both boats together and what does peter do in verses five through eight he falls to his knees and says, Lord, I am a sinful man. Get away from me. And Jesus, in his wonderful creative way, says, Peter, rise up. <laughs> rise up. I'm going to make you a fisher of men that wonderful creative way what a wonderful picture isn't that of god's sovereignty and his authority and his creativity in calling people to jesus and it's jesus you see who brings the conviction so we don't have to worry about it do we we don't have to force conviction and repentance on others our job is to love them listen to them answer their objections as best we can pray for them and let the lord do the rest remember what paul says in 1 corinthians 4 6 look I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Isn't that a relief? That's a relief. And when we realize that Jesus brings a conviction to repent in his sovereign time and in his creative and authoritative way, we have no need to be afraid of failing. We simply trust that if the person you know, hasn't come to Christ at that point, God has a, a chain of people that he's going to use and in his own sovereign, authoritative authoritative and creative way in his time they will come to know christ and meanwhile we just continue to pray so that's how they were praying but like the church in acts 4 number two we pray specifically for boldness boldness in sharing jesus christ with others and so it says in acts 4 29 It it says, uh, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, I looked that up in the Greek. You know what it means? Literally, great boldness means with complete freedom and confidence. Chew on that for a minute. With complete freedom and confidence to share your faith with others. So what did their, their boldness, their great boldness look like? Well, you can read on and see that they continued to share their faith in the the face of persecution and mob violence and even death in chapters 8 and 9. They were so persecuted, they scattered to the four ends of the earth and they shared the gospel wherever they went and it began to penetrate the whole Roman Empire. In chapter 10, you've got Peter hurdling these racial, socioeconomic barriers and going into a Gentile house and the Holy Spirit falling as he preaches. No Jew was ever supposed to do that. Barrier after barrier, but but you know, I think really the best definition of great boldness is right here in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, where Peter and John say to the Sanhedrin, (laughs) they said at verse 20, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. Jesus has touched us in such a powerful way, we can't help it. And they're talking really there about their testimony, how Jesus has changed their life. I've been you know, visiting around different uh, Anglican church synods and in two places I heard missionaries to a Muslim country that must remain um, uh, anonymous in violence-ridden uh, places where Christians lose their heads literally right and left saying this is what's happening in those countries. Muslims are having dreams where Jesus appears to them. And these Muslims are coming to the missionaries' doors and knocking and saying, can you tell me a little bit about Isa? Because I had a dream about him last night. And with nothing more than that, they are witnessing to these Muslims. They are turning their lives over to Jesus. And then here's what they do. They spend maybe an hour, hour and a half, something like that, and they tell them who Jesus is, why he came to die for us, and how to pray for others to receive Christ and pray for healing. And then they send them out. They don't say, okay, come back next week for a discipleship class or even membership 101. They, they, they say, just go out and share your faith. And these Muslims do as God leads and they come to christ and they bring them back to the missionaries and these missionaries reported in a short period of time in a very violent place that you would recognize they have uh, have seen seven generations of muslims come to christ seven of these processes disciples making disciples making disciples and multiplying geometrically underground churches with no more knowledge than how Jesus has changed their life and a little bit about who he is. Now, I found that testimony very convicting. I don't know about you, but, you know, because I asked myself, am I more focused on sharing the 95% I already know about Jesus or the 5% that I don't know? And what would it look like if you and I were to share in that way with such great boldness what we already know about Jesus rather than what we don't know or what we wish we knew or what we hope to learn someday but what we already know about Jesus and how Jesus has actually impacted our lives and changed our lives wouldn't that be wonderful and and what it would look like for us today is that we too would say we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Great boldness starts with you and I having the complete freedom and confidence to ask a friend, a co-worker, or anyone who has shared a need with us if we can pray with them. Can I take a few minutes to pray with you right here? Or would you like to pray maybe later or over coffee what a great way to boldly in the authority of Jesus Christ and lovingly begin some spiritual conversations that may turn into eternal turning points. But while we're boldly and lovingly starting those spiritual conversations and prayers for others, let's also pray for them in the same way that this church did. Thirdly, pray for miraculous breakthrough. Pray for miraculous breakthrough. It says, as they pray, in verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant Jesus. Praying for miraculous breakthrough. When I was eight years old, my father, an Episcopal priest who had a day off and who was a wonderful, spirit-filled believer in Jesus, um, took us on a field trip to a Pentecostal church. It was called the Charismatic Clinic. It was at Melody Land Christian Center in Southern California, it was led by a guy named Ralph Wilkerson, I was eight years old, I had never seen anything like it. Now, I would describe myself at eight years old as a God-fearer, which is, you know, I went to church because it was my duty to go to church, and I said the prayers because it was my duty to say the prayers. And I did it because my mom and dad asked me to do it, but I did not know Jesus personally as my Lord and Savior. I did not have a personal relationship with him. And so I was sitting in the middle of this service. They had their altar call, which is an altar call for healing. And, you know, I saw this elderly woman go forward on a walker you know, one of the, the, the four-footed walkers, and she was obviously in a lot of pain, must have had what I would now describe as a rheumatoid arthritis or something that was crippling her. And I felt sorry for her, and so I said the prayer that I heard in the prayer book all the time when you didn't know what else to say, which was, Lord, have mercy. And you have to know that at that time, I had a terrible stigmatism with, with glasses that were probably two to three times the thickness of these. I couldn't see the numbers on the hymn board up front. And so the moment I prayed that prayer, I felt a bolt of electricity go through my body from head to toe, and like binoculars, my eyes focused, and I could read the hymns. Now, obviously it wasn't a complete healing, but it sure got my attention. And that paved the way four years later when a wonderful, um, spirit-filled Episcopal priest named Dennis Bennett and his wife Rita came and preached and had an altar call, and I went forward. And you see, God loves to use healings and miracles and signs to grab people's attention and to help them know that he's there, that he's real. And that can cut through every objection in just a moment of time. And that's what God wants for us, too. He wants for us to pray for that, for the the people that we are sharing Christ with. And, you know, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as my experience. There is a wonderful promise God makes through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29, verse 13, where God says through Jeremiah, Jeremiah, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with your whole heart. That's what God is saying that to people who are seeking, people who don't yet know him. And the, the great Anglican, John Stott, wrote in his wonderful book, I highly commend to you, Basic Christianity, at page 19, if you wanna find this, he says, look, it doesn't have to be dramatic. It can simply be the prayer that flows from Jeremiah 29, 13, where you ask your friend to pray, your skeptic friend to pray this prayer. God, if you exist, and I don't know if you do, and if you can hear this prayer, and I don't know if you can, I want to tell you that I'm an honest seeker after the truth. Show me if Jesus is your son and savior of the world, and if you bring conviction to my heart, I will trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord. Isn't that a great prayer? That's a prayer for breakthrough, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's as wonderful. Here we have a God who is so gracious, so incredibly loving, that he reached out to me when I wasn't even praying to myself, or for myself. And here, here is a promise from Jeremiah that God is so eager to reach out if they would just pray this prayer. Maybe you would like to pray that prayer for them. Pray for miraculous breakthrough. That God will let himself know how great and gracious he is. And then finally, number four, pray for God to shake you and fill you. And it says in Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Talk about an immediate answer to prayer. Now in the New Testament, God uses shaking to break people out of hardness and disbelief and to bring them to a place of conviction. So think about what happened when Jesus died on the cross at Calvary and the earth shook with a great earthquake and the centurion upon that shaking said, truly this was the Son of God. Think about 16 chapters hence, actually 12 chapters hence in Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas are praising God while they're in prison shackled. And all of a sudden there's a great earthquake and the doors of the prison open up and the, and the jailer comes in and falls on his knees. He's about ready to kill himself because the doors are all open. And it's a wonderful opportunity for Peter for Paul and Silas to share with him and not only does he come to Christ but he and his whole family comes to Christ and and sometimes God will shake the foundations under our feet to get our attention and turn to him and and so uh, wonderful evangelists like Lee Strobel and Tim Keller have used this to point to say that by analogy we ought to pray that God will shake the intellectual objections and skeptical foundations of our unsaved friends and that with that shaking God will cause them to have doubts about their doubts. But I want to be faithful to the text here and say, look, God didn't shake unbelievers. He shook believers here. He shook the church gathered, including you and me. Why? Well, it's to grab our attention and remind us with power that God cares for lost people. You see, God needs to shake you and me out of our complacency. Do we really care that lost people, friends, co-workers, and family members are going to hell if we don't share Jesus Christ and his transforming love with them? When I was growing up, one of my favorite Christian artists was a guy named Keith Green, and he wrote a song, "Asleep in the Light. And these verses particularly convicted me Don't you see, don't you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care, don't you care? Are you gonna let them drown? God cries, he weeps, he bleeds. How about you and me? Are we content to let God meet our needs and close our eyes to those all around us who are sinking down, lost, and need Jesus. Well, in response to their prayer, God also fills his church with the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, Jesus gave the answer in Acts 1.8. When he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth. From Jesus' mouth, to our ears, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to make us witnesses. And when we try to share Christ with others in our own strength alone, it will become not only frustrating, but overwhelming and discouraging. God knows we need the power he promised in Christ to be witnesses, so let's ask him for his sake to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And remember to keep asking like these Christians did because like them, we leak. Pray that God will fill you with the Holy Spirit afresh as you share Christ with others. And what are the results? I encourage you to read those scriptures. But here's what it says in Acts 4.33. It says, with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Much grace was upon them all. It says that they were performing signs and wonders in Acts 5. And people were so awestruck that no one else dared join them, it says in verse 13, even though they were highly regarded. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. They were persecuted in the rest of that chapter, but it says that they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ in Acts 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And beloved, you know that whenever priests become obedient to the faith, that the Holy Spirit is moving in a powerful way, right? You see, a prayer-driven church will be a witnessing church where everyone is sharing with lost people in word and deed how Christ's transforming love can change their lives. Amen? Amen? So let's be that church. Father, we pray that you would shake us out of complacency, fill us with your Holy Spirit, fill us afresh with a vision of who you are that makes our fears and intimidation seem like dust, Give us boldness to not stop speaking, not help ourselves to speak always about how you've changed our lives. And in miraculous and creative ways, Lord, break through in the lives of the people we love that they may come to know you and follow you the rest of their days. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.